You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to TFM's local Star Trek books and comic show. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to have with me, as he is pretty much every time, the one, the only, the beautiful Bruce Gibson. I feel so beautiful today with that introduction. Thank you so much, Matthew. Well, I mean, you should. You're looking fantastic, um, and uh, I think you know. Uh, I I I love the goatee that you've grown. Well, it's getting a little gray, you know. It's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not like it used to be. Oh man, I I, I as you can tell, I, I got a haircut, and um, I, I as she like cut the sides, I was like. Wow, my hair is way grayer than I even thought it was. Like, it's like white on the sides. I'm looking like Picard on the sides there. It's crazy. So, um, and I'm really excited, Bruce. Joining us again is Casey Pettit. Hey, how's it going, Casey? Hello, Matthew and Bruce. Great to be back. And I I can totally understand the gray. <laughs> yes. It's all yes. over my head. It's on my chin. Yep. It's everywhere. Yep. Yeah. I, I think we've all got that problem going on. So Yeah, we're yeah. the gray beard men club right here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm excited tonight because we've got some fun things we're going to be talking about. We've got a comic to review and then we're going to be diving into the next Typhon Pack series book, and this was actually just an ebook when it came out. Uh, the struggle within, and so excited though that we're going to be able to cover that. Before we get there, though, um, we just want to say thank you for listening to Literary Tracks. If you do like the show, you can help us grow. Uh, so, which I mean, I would suspect that you like it because you're listening. So, go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a star rating review. We read those out on the show. Uh, you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. So just wherever you're, you know, consuming this podcast media, just make sure you're subscribed to get the show as soon as it drops. Um, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. Of course, there's the listeners only discussion group, which we are all a part of, and that you can join from uh, listeners from all over the world. Uh, and talk about the different shows. Um, and of course, you can find us over online at track.fm. We've done some remodeling of the website, too, to reflect some of the new things that are going on. And we've got more plans in the future. So if you want to make sure that those plans come to fruition, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and be part of our team, just like our esteemed panelists tonight, Casey Pettit. So uh, we really appreciate all the support that everybody gives us. Honestly, it costs a lot for us to do this uh, as a network, and we could use your help. So again, go to patreon.com slash trackfm. So guys, Mere War 1, 
say that three times fast, is actually here. Yeah, and it's been released. And so I want to know y'all's thoughts on this very first issue. Well, it's better than the Zero issue because we're really getting into the story now. So I really appreciate that piece of it. But I also like the dynamics of two of the characters that seem to be plotting something against Picard and getting together, which isn't surprising that we'd see Riker and Troy together like that. And uh, the aftermath of of Barkley having to explain himself to Troy about what he was doing in the Prime Universe. Yeah, you you took the words right out of my mouth. It's it's much better than issue zero, <laughs> and um, I did still feel like this one had a lot of uh, background, like you know, with Barkley explaining himself. But um, you know, overall, like I thought this was a great introduction. Like especially if somebody hadn't read issue zero, I felt like it, they could still pick this one up and and read along and and get what's going on. And I I'd say out of the I think the artwork is my favorite of all of those, all of the mirror universe comics to date. I didn't, I didn't care much for the watercolor type of artwork on the first couple of um, series that they, that they did. But uh, this one looks more comic booky, I guess. It's interesting, uh, Bruce and Casey, because you both said it's better than uh, the, the first, you know, the zero issue, which they didn't even need to put out a zero issue. Can I? Can we just be honest? Like that was legitimately a nothing issue. Um, and like you said, Casey, they absolutely give you everything you needed to understand the zero issue and what was happening in the series without having read that. So I'm just very surprised that the zero issue was such a had zero effect really on anything that was really happening in this story. I would have expected you to really utilize that space. I mean, comics take so much time to put together. So I would just, uh, story-wise and just, again, um, using it as an opportunity to really help set up the story in a way that makes much more sense than this. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, everything that they hit in the zero issue as a plot point was hit here as well and harder, which this actually, I think made more sense as a comic issue. Like this felt more cohesive story wise. I mean, the the whole point of, of this series is the fact that Picard wants to take over the empire, become the emperor and Troy and Riker are working against him big plot points like and this really plays that up super well so i just in all honesty like that i'm right there with both of you this is f- a fantastic issue comparatively um but at the same time there's a part of me that i don't know if i may be having mere fatigue but i just feel like all of these storylines end up kind of being the same many times and i hate to compare it to you know like deep space nine and its work in the mirror universe but i found that to be much more interesting because there was so much more going on and it never all felt the same but i feel like all of these comics that we're doing and even a lot of times the the books that they've done in the mirror universe it's all about just the intrigue and people trying to kill each other and you know like 
there doesn't seem to be a lot of variation um, to the type of stories they do tell in the Mirror Universe. So, whereas this was a better issue for me, I'm still not completely sold, I guess, on, like, why... Then I want the story to feel like, oh, yes, you have to read this. Does, I don't, does that make sense to either of you guys? Yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from on it. I mean... Yeah, it's just like the in, the intrigue, like you said, of of you know what's going on. I, I think one of the kind of draws in the earlier Mirror series that they did for for Next Gen were good because we're seeing characters that we haven't really seen much in the Mirror Universe. Um, now, yeah, we're we're kind of getting a lot of the same thing. I, I do, you know, with the last series that kind of focused on Barkley in the, the Mirror Barkley in our universe or in the Prime universe was that was kind of a cool twist on it because you know this the whole series was him kind of trying to figure everything out um you know with this one with the the kind of plot of them trying to 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 take over that planet that creates all the ships and everything i mean now we're just gonna what build up a fleet so that picard can find and kill spock and (laughs) take over the empire i mean it is it is becoming kind of old hat at this point um and and if they're gonna do that i almost kind of feel like at this point, because I think this is like the fourth comic series that they're doing in the in the Mirror Universe, they should probably start bringing in some of the other characters. I mean, we had O'Brien in this one, which I was a little confused by because I'm wondering, isn't he on Deep Space Nine? Yeah, thank you. Yes. But, you know, what about like the Voyager crew and, you know, where, where are some of them? Because we know that, that Tuvok was, you know, part of the resistance on Deep Space Nine um, in the Mirror Universe. So... I don't know, just kind of bring in some of them and some other familiar characters be kind of nice. I mean, yeah, that would be cool. I'd like to see the other characters. I, I think I would get a little more excited about it. The The problem I have with the Mirror Universe is it's a fun thing to play with every once in a while, but it's not something I'm invested in on a regular basis. I'm not that mm-hmm. interested in getting a Mirror Universe series over and over again. I mean, when we were introduced to a TNG Mirror Universe comic series, and I think it was only five issues at the time, it was kind of exciting because it was something different. And we haven't seen TNG really much in the Mirror Universe except for, uh, I think it's Dark Mirror, the novel by uh, Diane Duane. And... So that was fun. Well, then we get a second series and okay, that's what now we're getting a third and a fourth. I, you know, we like Star Trek for certain reasons and the mirror universe doesn't represent the ideals that we like about Star Trek. Right. So to play in it every once in a while is fine, but I don't get that excited when there's another mirror universe story because it's just like you said, Matt, it's like, you know, oh, they're just out to get something and they're out for vengeance mm-hmm. and it's all the same thing over again. I, I I'm not that into it. I enjoy it occasionally, but yeah, I'm not thrilled and excited when I go into it, but of course I will read it. But at the same time, it does allow the authors free reign to do more Mm -hmm. than what they could do if they had to stay with the constrictions of whatever's going on with the new series on TV right now. So that's a plus for them. Well, and one of the things that Bruce, you just mentioned, and I I really kind of struck a chord with me was the idea of you know it, it doesn't represent the ideals of what we love star trek for right but every time that it was done on television it it is a mirror for showing us the difference in the ideals and in, in the mirror universe 
being slightly closer to what our actual universe looks like and our actual world looks like in many ways. Um, and, and so again, shining the light on us through looking in the mirror. And, you know, I, I feel like the other thing, especially that the episodes were able to do on Deep Space Nine with the mirror universe is that you were slowly playing with that universe and in its own way, bringing it to its own kind of better place, right? You weren't just leaving it in one place and everything was always the same, you know, and that's that I think maybe that's just one of the things I don't react to as well here is the fact that I'm just not as excited about feeling like the mirror universe hasn't evolved at all. Um, And like you said, Casey, with O'Brien being on the Enterprise, it's really a strange time. Like, where are we in the timeline at all? I mean, is this before all the Deep Space Nine episodes? So that's why this is the case. And so um, I or or are we pretending like those didn't have like what, you know, so I maybe maybe. I'm overthinking it, but I guess, you know, that's what makes me a Star Trek fan on a podcast. <laughs> right. I, I feel like we need a hero in the mirror universe. So as I was reading this comic and there's Barkley in there, I was starting to wonder if they made a mistake, the this crew, in bringing the wrong Barkley back. Is this the prime Barkley? And I thought, and if it's not, but I thought that would be an interesting take that the prime Barkley is in the mirror universe and he has to deal with the situations and prevent them from destroying something or whatever, but keeping his disguise. It's almost the opposite of what we got in the uh, Terra Incognita comic line. And that, mm-hmm. to me, that would be a little more interesting. Great. Well, now I've just got Bonnie Tyler singing, we need a hero. <laughs> uh, but thank you, Bruce. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm interested. I mean, if you guys, if there was, if we were rating the comic out of five, where do you think you guys land? I would say three out of five. I mean, I I still enjoyed it, and I do like the Mirror Universe. It's just not one of my favorite things. Even when watching Discovery season one, they went to the Mirror mm-hmm. Universe. Okay, this is cool. This is fun. But yeah, I'm glad they didn't stay for a long period of time. So, I mean, for a Mirror Universe story, it's pretty good. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of going between a, a two and a three, a two just because they rehash like if anybody has read all the, the previous ones and even just Terra Incognita, um I mean you get the rehash of that entire story in in several pages of this one. Um but as far as setting up I mean this would have actually been a good uh good issue zero for this series, I feel like. And and for that I would actually give it a three. Um Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, but yeah, it's 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 got a little little uphill climb for me, I think. I think I'm probably at like a two and a half. It's it's like half a good story, you know, like the art I enjoy the that stuff. Um, you know, when I'm reading a comic that makes for whether or not my enjoyment goes higher or lower, or if I don't really enjoy the art. The art was better here, I think, than issue zero. Picard looks slightly more like himself, and then everybody else really looked a lot more like themselves. So that was great. Um, but I mean, as per just the storyline, I just don't find myself overly excited about the series. So I, I will be interested to see where it goes as we continue to look at it. But 
I don't know, Bruce, uh, maybe instead of looking in the mirror, we could struggle within. Wow. I'm not even going to touch that one. So this is a really interesting book. And um, The Struggle Within came out as an ebook as well back in the day. And of course, you know, and that's still the only way you can get the story. So before we even got to anything story-wise, I wanted to ask you because at this time period, ebooks weren't all the rage like they are now. And it was a lot harder to get a chance to read them. You might not have a Kindle. And that was really the only place to read them really at that point, you know? So uh, did you guys read this initially? And was it something you just had to like download on your computer or read? Or did you have a Kindle to read? And I'm really fascinated about that because I remember when Star Trek started doing eBooks and I'm like, what's an eBook and how do I get it? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I did read this on a Kindle app. Uh, at the time when it came out. So yes, I did read it. I don't remember which device. It was either on my iPad or my Kindle device that I don't use anymore. Uh, maybe even on my iPhone. This time I read it on my iPhone. But just to your point about eBooks, I remember when uh, SCE came out with their mm-hmm. first eBook yep. about 20 years ago. And I had to download the software to read it on my laptop. And I read it, but I did not like doing it on my laptop, so I didn't continue getting the books, but I really wanted to. But the idea of reading it off my computer screen did not appeal to me at the time. And to your point, now that ebooks are more popular, they're not doing them like this anymore. And now I want it. <laughs> you know, I want a series like, you know, every month a small story coming out in ebook or novella like this one. And they, they don't do them. And I, would, I wish they would. Yeah, I'm, I actually didn't. It took me a long time to get into ebooks. I think when those uh, SC ebooks came out, I actually waited until they started collecting them in the paperbacks before I started reading them. And then ones like uh, Mirror Anarchy and Slings and Arrows, I I just never read those ones. And so even this one, I'm actually still working through my my way through the Typhon Pack books at all now. So like the first time I actually even read this one was last week, <laughs> and um, and I read all my books primarily on my ipad anymore so uh like you bruce yeah i would i would actually you know almost like like comic books even you know they're they're putting those out every every month or two you know like let's let's get some some ebooks and novellas um and and some short stories uh to you know i feel like that'd be the best way to do some lower decks uh fiction you know is, is in that ebook novella form um so yeah anymore i, I don't even know if I think it was once I found out how short this one was and that it was just a novella that I even went back and looked and realized that it was just an ebook to begin with. And so I, w- I was aware of them, but I, since I didn't have any way to read them back in, in the day, mm-hmm. I just didn't. And I don't know off the top of my head, but I think this might be the last exclusive Star Trek ebook. I can't think of. Uh, no, one there were uh, what dreams may come or something like that. The one that James Swallow did. Uh, and there was one about oh, Dr. McCoy right. that came out. Oh, that was an ebook. And, that's right. And um, there was the Ferengi, um, the, the, court, the, the, one, the rules of accusation. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's actually a few and I'm trying to remember. I feel like, uh, you know, um, I, I could do the research here on, on, uh, our literary treks, website and let you know exactly but i'm i feel like it's been 
a good three years, yeah, maybe I, that since they've right. had an exclusive ebook like that. I they just aren't really doing them anymore, uh, like you guys said. And I I don't know if it was just you know they were putting out a lot of books at that time too. You know, I felt like there was a while where they were really like putting out a lot of books, and then and then you know obviously now uh, things have just completely dried up because we're killing the lit first in some way maybe possibly who knows um but you know it, it's funny that the reason i asked this question is because i mean for me it was a real struggle because i i didn't have access to like i didn't have a digital reader you know um and i didn't have an ipad at the time or any of those things and so I had to just read it on the computer if I wanted to read it. And this is one specifically that I had to do that with, I remember, because I was reading the Typhon Pack series. And I wanted to know, I mean, this was a part of the series. I didn't want to miss out. And so, you know, I had to make the extra effort to read this. And, you know, thankfully, it wasn't a long book or anything, you know, so... um, and I do, I really enjoyed these little novellas um, like this. I thought it was a lot of fun. It, it In many ways, I, th- I felt like it was the perfect way to give you almost like an episode-sized story, you know, whereas the books themselves are, are more like, almost like the movie length, you know, this is just like the episode uh, length. And so definitely uh, enjoyed that uh, about this story. And, you know, for this one, um, I was really surprised and, and enjoyed rereading it because I remembered it's so great to watch this Typhon Pack series pick up the pieces from what happened in Destiny um, and uh, even Fallout from the Dominion War still. like The, the Federation has been on a war footing for so long and, and to me, I was really fascinated to watch um, the way in which both of those things have changed the 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 composition of the federation and the ideals of the people even running it to the point where we end the book with these people not joining the federation and the Kitimer alliance because they realize the federation isn't what it used to be yeah it's kind of it, it's in crisis right now because, you know, the Andorians have left the Federation. There's a lot of mistrust going on at this time. And the Federation is trying to put itself back together. How can they actually help someone else when they're in disarray themselves? So it's probably smart that the society just backs away for now and kind of says, well, we'll call you later, you know, not right now. And it's it's good, too, that, I mean, they end as somewhat of allies they're still on good terms but they just yeah i mean i i actually respected the talarians more at the end when they're like you know what this isn't for us now but let's keep talking and and figure it out and and it don't call us we'll call you uh, yeah exactly and and it it also reminded me a little bit of what i'm imagining we're going to see some of in discovery season four you know, with the Federation kind of starting to come back together and uh, put itself to be, put itself back together. Um, and, you know, from the beginning of this story too, like it, it just seemed um, not that Picard or, 
or the crew were like trying to rush the Talarians into a situation, but you know, just getting them to sign the Kittimer Accords when we're like, yeah, just right on the fallout of the Andorians leaving and, you know, we're trying to put the pieces back together, but then trying to add more into it. Like I know that with greater numbers comes greater strength and everything. We need as many allies as we can get, but it is now really the time to be trying to admit new members rather than looking more inward and mm-hmm. trying to maybe take care of the Federation worlds that are still still yep. there and maybe even still reeling from watching one of the founding members secede. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think you make a really great point, Casey, that, you know, is this the right time to be doing this, especially when this is a culture, you know, that the Solarians are not quite uh, at a place that we would readily accept, I guess, morally for the Federation in the way that uh, their society is unequal. Um, and obviously, you know, the Federation is all about the ideas of, you know, basically itic. Um, but there is a standard to which the Federation has. Um, and this, this society isn't quite there yet. And so, and yet by the, you know, actions of what happens, they're going to be getting closer to that, but they're not ready and the Federation isn't ready, but for different reasons here. And it's, it's almost like in many ways, this is a a prime example, I think of two wrongs don't make a right, you know, and, and or leaving and the Federation looking for new members and, and trying to like shove us you know, square thing into a round hole, that's that's not going to work at, at this place. And it's not going to be good for either of the societies because neither is going to be necessarily in a place to be challenged to grow if they just stay with the status quo. And uh, that rhymed, and I didn't mean it to, but um, I, I think that was something that was really interesting is that, you know, Picard is challenged in the sense of saying, like, look, you guys aren't who you used to be, and you know it, but you're not necessarily making a change for the better right now. So that's not going to be healthy for us either as we're trying to actually make that change. Yeah, the Talarians aren't there yet. They're they're not ready. Even if the Federation were in a perfect working condition right now, the Talarians just aren't going to fit in because of the way the males treat the females, and that needs to be rectified first. And maybe the Federation could help them with that, but I don't think they should be members until they're closer to reaching right. that goal. Right. Well, and Jono is talking to Picard at one point and and says that the Federation has, has shown like arrogance towards other cultures in the past, and that like the Picard or you know their envoy basically needs to convince the Talarian people that the Federation's going to respect the Talarian customs rather than impose its own views on them, which, I mean, that's kind of, you know, as as, as we kind of see, like, the, the Starfleet members on the planet are, you know, kind of, uh, they don't like what they see, I guess, you know, like, you know, as far as the way that, and then even the revolution that kind of starts kind of popping up mm-hmm. right. among the Talarians during that time. 
And like you said, Bruce, yeah, like the Talarians need to get there on their own or at least very much closer because the otherwise the Federation is picking sides. Either they're going to side with the women, which is probably who they would side with, but then proving to the men of the of the planet that, you know, they can't be trusted. Well, and, and the and the interesting thing about that is, is that this is and this is something that plays in the whole idea of like, just listen. They're jumping to conclusions about the society, uh, the Federation is, right? Because they're not willing to hear out and or listen as to why this society is set up the way it is. And when you actually, when we get down to that story-wise level, you know, when when uh, the women begin to actually express what they desire – it has nothing to do with really changing the status quo for women. It has to do with them wanting to be responsible for the things to which they're responsible for in their society and not be shut out of making those decisions because they are responsible for so much in their society. It's just different than many of the other worlds that we see in the Federation, but that doesn't make it better and or worse. It is just different. And and so I think what I really liked about this book and, you know, Christopher L. Bennett, I think, does a great job of being able to show how there's a validity, a validity in lots of different types of systems as long as the people involved in those systems are fully on board with the way in which they're being run. Um, and so and just judging out of hand because it oh, it looks different than what we do. Um, and like you said, Casey, that arrogance of like, oh, well, because it's not what we do means it's probably not a good thing. They're absolutely right. And all sides of this equation here with the Talarians, the Federation, everyone involved in this is all really guilty of that until the women finally are just like, guys, that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> you know, like I, and I, I it, it's a failure to listen. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, and isn't that the problem with most issues that we have is failure to communicate? You know, as we're talking through this book, it reminds me of something that uh, someone at work mentioned to me yesterday, which reminded me of this book because he said his wife does the laundry. That's that's her thing, you know, that no one else is supposed to touch the laundry. There's a certain way she does it, and that's how it's done. But she's sick right now, so he and the kids are doing the laundry, and it's driving her crazy because they're not doing it the way she wants it to be done, but she's too sick to do it. And it just reminds me of the fact that in this book, you know, the women are in charge of something and the men just assume that, oh, okay, well, they have a problem with doing this. And they're like, no, we just want to be the ones who make the decisions on the things that we're responsible for. We don't want you to be involved. We don't want you to take it away from us either. We just want you to respect that we are the decision makers of this. It's our laundry. Yeah. And I think, I mean... It it shows at the end, even though they're they're having a hard time listening to each other, seeing eye to eye, um, or even having this dialogue between the two groups. I mean, there is a certain amount of maturity that the the kind of the ruling men, I guess, show. You know, when they're declining membership in the Kittimer Accords, and um, you know, even saying that they need to put their house in order first. I mean, it it shows at least. Uh, the beginning of willingness to listen, I think, and um, shows some hope for the future that 
that these two groups might someday actually be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. We might see them, you know, in the Federation or the Kittimer Accords or whatever. And I think that future well, will happen. That's the takeaway I came from this book, that that will happen. Yes. Well, and it, like, I think what we see here is as wisdom, you know, like it's, it's the ability to, um, to, to understand and rectify, um, shortcomings and, um, not lash out or be frustrated with those, but to, to use those as an opportunity to, to move forward. Uh, and I think that was, is, you know, it's absolutely beautiful here that that's a part of the story. So, um, and and I think the other thing, I like a lot of the ways in which, you know, thematically this book is dealing with a lot of different uh, themes. They all play into each other. And, and, and the one of that I came across that I was really uh, enjoying with Chowdhury um, dealing with this looking for balance and really struggling, obviously, with what happened with the Borg, uh, finding a tough time dealing with the balance because of the anger and fear and pain with what she's been feeling and not knowing what to do with that. And I, I really enjoyed that. I think one of the things that does make, you know, Star Trek really work well. And, you know, I, I never loved that, you know, they put a counselor on the enterprise, you know, um, it was a little too eighties for me. Um, but, the realization that she has as a person to say, I'm not okay, and I need time to be able to find a way to make myself okay, was really beautiful. And, and, and it's it's such a great thematic element, because there are so many people to which, you know, um, the, I think this shows the validity of, one, it's okay to say you're not okay, and two... Um, that it's okay also to to work to figure that out um, on your own or with the help of others and and the others that you think are going to benefit you the most and and he or she makes the determination at this moment it's not Worf that's going to be the most helpful for her and she chooses her her friend Chen to help her with it which is a strange combination but ends up working out well for both of them. Yeah, the note I wrote down for this whole kind of storyline was just mental health awareness. And I I really did appreciate um Chowdhury realizing that for herself that she needed she needed to get away. And um I last year I actually had to take a leave of absence from work just because my anxiety got the best of me for the first time like in my life. And um, you know, I had to step away so I could kind of recenter myself almost, you know, and, um, and I really like that she's doing that here. We're not seeing Worf or Picard or somebody else ordering her to go see the counselor or, which I feel like we see a lot of, uh, you know, that there's multiple counselors on the ship and you need to talk to one of them. I feel like we see it in Titan sometimes too. Um, but for her to, to come to that realization and then and and to tell Worf like no I, I need to do this for myself I'm not going to be any good as a security officer if you know if I don't kind of figure this out for myself get over my or, or at least learn to deal with my anger and and everything um, and yeah I thought I, I thought it was interesting that she chose Chen and even Chen thought it was interesting <laughs> that Chowdhury asked her to go with her but but like you said I feel like uh, she had a really great arc as well mm-hmm. in this story 
as far as is kind of finding yeah. herself and and um, learning to to deal with her own issues. Well, and one thing there, Casey, that you said that I think is super smart um, that Chowdhury mentions is that um, you know just like personally, you know any any thing needing a change has to be willing to make the change in and of themselves, and. Um, and so her being willing to look for the solutions to her issues herself lets her know that she's ready. In the same way, what we see with the Kinshara, same thing, you know, these people are willing to make the change for themselves, search for the change for themselves. And it's only in, and, and again, I, I love you pointing that out because, yeah, you can be forced to go to a counselor, but nobody's going to make a change in their life being forced to do something. Like, that's why most counselors, their goal is to get somebody to come to the real, quote unquote, realization by themselves. They're just there to kind of prod them along. So 100% agree with you. Well, I love the t- the pairing of these two together. I don't know why it's never really stood out to me as much as it did in this novel. And uh I want to see more of these two together uh, doing things as a team, because what really stood out this time for me is how Chowdhury almost is, she's human, but she has more of a Vulcan feel to her because she is trying to find her Zen and she's trying to learn to meditate and, and find herself and be in control of herself and her emotions while Chen, who is Vulcan, half Vulcan, is very much in her emotions and a very emotional person. So they're the op, the human is less emotional and the Vulcan is more emotional. And the two together playing off of each other was something I really enjoyed the most about this book, actually. Yeah, it was really fun to have them uh, together. And part of that is they're almost like opposites attract nature. And and I love the way in which, you know, strangely, Chen doesn't necessarily look, realize that she's looking for balance at all in her life. You know, her life is all over the place. It's like chaos personified. And yet she has this experience there with the Kinshara and and she doesn't know what to do with it. You know, she doesn't know how to be able to calm her mind and calm her heart with the experiences that she's seen, the horrors that she's witnessed firsthand now. And therefore she finds herself to be out of balance and her natural inclination towards chaos theory, you know, uh, of her own personal life is something to which isn't helpful for her at this moment. And therefore she's then able to turn to Chowdhury, which I thought was a really beautiful thing to see. So that reciprocal nature of their relationship here really works you know and um i don't remember but i do feel like this storyline ends up kind of being a turning point for the chen character to begin to get slightly more serious you know and i would i would say in many ways she's kind of a manic pixie girl you know um as a character but i do feel like th- and i've always liked her as a character but I'm I'm really interested to see as we move forward, Bruce, with with the rest of the Typhon Pack books, and and we see her characterization. 
does this kind of calm her down a little bit? And does this help her find some f- some focus and some balance? I mean, she's always a fun character, but I feel like that actually ends up happening, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think you're right, because I, I know she does calm down over time. She matures and finds more of herself and her well-being. She still can be crazy, but yeah, this mm-hmm. might be the thing that really pushes her to that point. I mean, what a like, what an experience she had in this one. I mean, I don't know how she couldn't be changed, move forward, moving forward, because you know, in the couple different um, struggles, I guess that they were a part of, uh, you know, she kind of jumped in. She couldn't help herself, but kind of joined in the fight and tried to help the people, and wasn't understanding the point um, that the Kanchaya were trying to make of of the nonviolence as a as a method of change and it isn't even until towards the end of the story when she's kind of in charge of making sure that the massacre really that's happening is being um being shown to the whole world so that you know more people can see it and um realizing that okay well we can not fight and this is horrible what we're witnessing but so many people are seeing it now that you know we have a small group here but it's reaching a wider audience who are now going to see the atrocities that are happening with the the breen just kind of opening fire on the crowd and you know her having to really just i mean literally just mm-hmm. sit back and watch it happen i mean i don't know how a person i mean talk about somebody who's going to need to th- need to get into some therapy when she gets back to the ship. That's a good I point, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love that you bring that up, Casey, because I do think that the, the whole discussion of nonviolence here uh, with the adventure there with the Kinshaya and, you know, Chowdhury and, and Chen going there to help support this movement uh, it was absolutely fascinating. And I felt like reading it, I was like, man, MLK would be so proud uh, because these people are literally portraying the principles that MLK set out, um, and I think beautifully, and I think effectively arguing as to why violence in response is never the answer, because those opposed to you always use that violence then as a, a excuse for then their response, and it just continues this cycle of violence. And if we can get out of the cycle of violence because somebody is willing to stand up for what's right, but at the same time not continue the fight in the same way, it makes all the difference. And and I just, reading this book, I was like reliving the last few years. And, and it was like, I just wish people, and, and we as as humanity could understand this again. I feel like we've lost a lot of what um, this book was preaching. And I was 100% in love with it. Like I just, and it kind of broke my heart, the fact that I feel like we've lost a lot of what this book was was saying. And people would actually vehemently disagree with this. And it, it again, it broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, everything you just said, I thought about too. I thought about MLK. I did. I mean, I, the peaceful protests. I mean, I don't think sometimes, look, I mean, there's been several protests over the last few years and some of them have been peaceful. And then there are those who ruin the whole thing and do more violent situations. And the problem 
sometimes is that you have to show that you are to be respected and violence doesn't always do that because if anything that just fuels the flame and those who oppose you, they go, see, I told you they're not trustworthy. Look what they did. You have to be above that. And that's what MLK did. You have to be above that. You have to be above the violence. You have to show that you are almost superior to what they are. And then people in the general public who are witnessing this on the news and in the media and just like in the story will respect those who stand up in a peaceful way and they will gain their acceptance and their support for their fight. And I love that about this. Okay. That's the other thing I love about the book. So, okay. There's two things I really love about the book, but that I do love. I mean, it, it does, um, it, it does a great job showing that nonviolence as, as a method of, of standing up for what they believe in. And it, yeah, it, I think it did a couple things. Like it showed that the Kinshia are, um, yes, they're members of the Typhon Pact, but, and I think we saw this maybe in the the previous novel, but it, it's kind of showing that the Typhon Pact isn't just this like evil federation. It's just another group of of worlds that are kind of allying themselves together, and you know maybe they they don't all believe the same thing. And kind of case in point, this really shows the Breen and who they really are, and just willing to massacre. And you know, totally obliterate the population, um, even as the 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 protesters are starting to disperse. You know, they they want to just kill everybody. And I mean, so that's showing the that the Breen are going to be as um, forceful as they need to and as violent as they need to. But it also shows that you know the people who the the Kinshaya that did not fight back. Like it, it just shows that. Yeah, there was a lot of them that died, but, you know, maybe it'll get more people within the Kinshaya population or even within the Typhon pack, like within the other Romulans that were witnessing this too, you know, to see that maybe this alliance isn't going to be beneficial to everyone because it's, you know, like gonna all, all it's showing them is don't piss off the Breen because they're going to, you know, they're just going to kill you and have no qualms about that. Well, and I thought... What was interesting is that, you know, obviously on the other side of the story, um, we see the Zen Kathy um, kind of doing the same types of things as the Breen, just less violently and more sneakily, you know, but they really have the same desire. And so I think, like you said, and, 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 but at the same time, we're seeing, you know, the, the Romulans with with Gel be a completely different type of praetor for that society and be much more, um, I, I would say, uh, I guess you, you uh, to use a uh, political terminology, you know, she's much more center aisle, you know, she's neither like left or right in her society, but she's, she's, she's much more of a straight shooter um, and kind of making her more of an honest politician if that's even a thing um so i think there's a real beauty in in that but so we're like you said we're cracking open the the typhon pact here and showing that yeah they're not just these you know mustache twirling villains like all of them have their different ways of dealing with things and we've seen some that are 
worse than others. We've also seen some that are way better than others too. So, I mean, this really turns this into um, a really interesting mu- movement on Kinshaya. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see where it moves forward because I can't actually remember um, because it's been so long since, since I've read these books. Yeah. And I'm curious too. I'm the same thing. I, I read them, but I don't remember all the details, but to what Casey, you were saying, it's like, that's the one thing that I always have to tell myself when I go into a Typhon pack book is that they aren't another federation. They're still their own societies. They just have this, this common bond that they're working together on some things, but they're not a government. They're not under one house and Mm -hmm. they all have their own way of doing things. And and the Romulans, if anything, want to establish more peace at this point with the Federation more so than let's say the Breen. So they're not even all on the same page. And I, I do find that interesting that the writers of these novels didn't go down that road of making the Typhon pack into a, the evil Federation because it makes it more complex when these different groups don't see eye to eye and they're not under one government entity. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder about the, even the, the original shows too, when they were on, you know, like we had the Federation, which was made up of like 150 worlds or whatever, but then we had the Romulans, we had the Klingons. And I mean, those were their own empires and there were different races and different planets within each of those. But, you know, that we didn't see, you know, we, we saw the Cardassians and the Dominion, you know, join forces. We even saw the Romulans join forces with the Federation during the Dominion War. But we, we never really saw, you know, that would have been an interesting arc to see kind of on TV too, like this kind of quote unquote evil Federation. I mean, maybe we got that a little bit with the Zindi, but, those were even still just one species with just different uh, races, I guess, within that species. I think this is the lost, um, the thing we lost with Enterprise not continuing is actually getting to see these different communities of races come together to create the Federation and the struggle that that would be and was. And uh, that's one of the things we end up losing there, you know, not actually getting to see how do you go from being um, these completely different races coming together to create one form of government to rule over all of you, but then also still respects the form of government you already have in your... Like, again, it just would have been so cool. Anyway, yeah, I just think about that now doing Warp 5 right now with Chris and we're walking through the episodes. I'm like, oh, poor Enterprise. That anyway. should have been a 10-season series. The first no, 10 years seriously. going up into seriously. the Federation. Yep. Well, I, I guess, you know, we've had a, a ton of great things to talk about with the book, so it sounds like as we get to the ratings that we're going to have some pretty high ratings here. Casey, what, what do you think you'd go with with Struggle Within? Yeah, it wasn't much of a struggle to come up with the rating. I, I gave this one a four out of five. Um, I I thought it had – it did a really good job of showing two different stories that were two different stories. I felt like with um, one of the previous ones, um, the one with uh, Cisco and Spock on the cover, I can't remember which one that was. That one had two specific oh, yeah. stories in it. But, Empire. Yep, exactly. And it, and it felt like it – throughout that entire book, like they were going to connect at some point and they never did, which was fine. But this one, I mean, from the beginning, it set out like, you know, Chaudry and Chan are going their way. And then we've got the Talarians on the one side. 
Uh, Beverly Crusher had a great storyline in this. Um, you know, she was a little bit of a diplomat herself. And I think it just did. I guess I, I wish we would have had more stories like this in the Typhon Pack series. Like even if Rough Beast of Empire was more like a novella like this, that was two different stories. And we just had these like little episodes going through the, through the Typhon Pact. But yeah, I thought it was really good. Christopher Bennett, Christopher L. Bennett is a, obviously a great author and, and did a great job with this. So yeah, I'm a, a very solid four out of five on this. Yeah. I give it a four out of five too. I would say that the two storylines we're very similar in a lot of ways. It's there was a lot of the you know how far does the federation go? How far do these members get involved while also trying to be involved? And what's that line you don't want to cross? And uh, of course, we got the prime directive, which really isn't that big of a piece of this story. But I did enjoy the book. I would love to see more books like this, more novellas similar to this. But I thought it did. I thought it was one of the better books when it comes to typh- dealing with the Typhon Pack because I felt like it would show us all different aspects of the different groups and how they're just creeping into other societies and trying to pull the strings on things. Where I, some of the other Typhon Pack books, they just didn't seem it'd be like they were just focused on one of the members. Where this. We saw mm-hmm. several of the members, so I like that. So, yeah, it's four out of five misfires from the Bream. Nice. Uh, this is uh, definitely four out of five struggles for me, um, which, like you said, Casey, I, there, I mean, this this was an easy rating. Um, this book is is excellent in that sense. It, it I, I appreciate you bringing up Rough Beast of Empire, not because I wanted to think about the book again, but because... Uh, this is a, a a great example of how you take two different storylines and you make them feel like one because thematically they they dovetail and that's exactly what you needed and and you do it here in such a short in such a short page count which is really impressive so absolutely same for me 4 out of 5 all right. Well, I'm looking forward to the next Typhon Pack books. I think there's what three more left, or is it two? It's three, right? It's three. Yeah, there are three left. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting near the end, and I'm really excited to get to the Deep Space Nine stuff. Yeah, it's gonna get crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, like the next one, isn't this the where we kind of pick up after a kind of a time jump from the from the DS9 relaunch ones, or did we already get past that? I think we're picking up uh, several years later, if I remember right. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> now I want to know. Yeah, Casey, I mean, you're absolutely right, because uh, the next book in the series is Plagues of Night and then Raise the Dawn. And so there is, I believe, a little bit of a time jump here that they give uh, the series. And I mean, yeah, some incredibly crazy things happen i mean they let them do some things i don't think anybody ever thought they would let them do uh, in the series here and so i am very excited to, to be getting to those books especially as you know we're in the coda series now and so much is happening in those books as well and this has been actually a great refresher um 
as as we look towards those. So, uh, in fact, that'll actually be um, our uh, our next episode that uh, we do is is actually going to be uh, our interview with James Swallow. So, looking forward to that as we look to talk about his book two in the Coda series. But, uh, Casey, it was great to have you back here. It's been so much fun uh, to to be able to have a third person in the seat again, not just Dayton hanging out in the green room. Uh, if people are looking uh, to catch up with you, where can they find you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me back again. I'm you know, enjoying reading these and having someone to talk about them with. Um, and if anybody wants to do that, I'm on Twitter Instagram and Letterboxd at Knitting Trekkie. I'm also on the Goodreads group and in the Babel Conference. And I'm also on another podcast called Mickey's Marvels, uh, which I do with my friends Pat and Chris. And we talk about uh, anything under the Disney umbrella, including Star Wars and Marvel. Nice. And Bruce, Bruce, it's so great to have you back, of course. And, you know, it's, your, your chair is always warm because... You hardly leave literary tracks. So where could people find you? I I tried to leave literary tracks, but then it just pulls me back in. <laughs> so Yes, yes. Very <laughs> nice. Uh, but no, I'm always here. Uh yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And you can also find me on the Positively Trek podcast talking all things about Star Trek and also on the Star Wars Report podcast. So basically you're saying this is Bruce Gibson Coda, the death of Bruce Gibson. You'll have to read the next book and find out. <laughs> well, you can find me all over social media under Matt Rushing Zero Two. So pretty much any of the main social media feeds you'll find me like you know, Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, all those kind of things. I can also find me here on the network. Of course, I'm on the other side of our network with the 602 Club, where we're talking about all the fandoms that we love uh, outside of Star Trek. And of course, they got bonus shows there like Snyder Cuts and Assembling Avengers in the same feed. I'm also doing The Orb and Warp 5 as well. So The Orb is with Chris Jones. We talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And as I mentioned in Warp 5, we're going through... Enterprise, one episode at a time, because it's the 20th anniversary, folks, and so we figured we'd celebrate, and then you could find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One was called Owl Post, and that's a finished show. I did that with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, and then last but not least, Aggressive Negotiations, doing that with John Mills, and that is a Star Wars show, so if you like Star Wars, I definitely got a place for you in Aggressive Negotiations. So, of course, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.